Lord be with you. Please be seated. And brothers and sisters, let me pray as we begin. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for being merciful and forgiving. For Lord, we know we are sinners, and we pray that you will please help us by your Spirit to turn back to you, to repent of our sins, to learn to obey you better and to love you better. We pray, Father, that you will continue um, to shower your mercy on our weaknesses, even as we try, especially during this period of Lent. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our friends, today, uh, tonight, we continue with the series looking at John chapter 15, verses 18 to chapter 16, verse 4a, that uh, Reverend Kubuwa read just now. And... Uh, so far as we were studying the Gospel of John, one major theme that we have seen so far in our series must be the intimate and the inseparable relationship that Jesus was teaching his disciples about himself and his Father. The inseparable and intrinsic, intimate relationship the two of them have. In one of his strongest statements on this, Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 10, and this is what he said, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. And we will see a little bit more of this a little bit later in our uh, discussion. Now, last week, Jesus told his disciples to abide in him or to stay connected to him, and by doing so, expanded the picture to relate this relationship so that disciples now enter into a loving relationship with Jesus similar to the loving relationship that Jesus has with the Father. Look at what verses 9 and 10 say. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in this love. And when we remember that Jesus' commandment is that his disciples love one another as he has loved them, we begin to see a picture of the love relationship of God's people to God. Disciples loving one another and Jesus loving the disciples and the Father loving Jesus. And we get the fullest picture of this loving relationship when we look back at chapter 14, verse 21 on the previous page, 1074, where Jesus said this, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Here we have a picture of Christians as a community loving each other, loving Jesus and obeying Him and being loved by the Father. A whole community of loving relationship between God, the Father, God, the Son and His people. And so friends, when Christians are such a loving community living in the world, we would expect that the world would love to welcome and to embrace such a community within their midst. Is that what our Lord will teach us in today's passage? That we should be loved, we should be welcomed, we should be honoured? Well, let us find out. Turn with me to page 1075 of the Church Bible, 
to John chapter 15, verse 18. And uh, you will also find at the center of the bulletin a sermon guide which might be helpful. Verse 18 says this, Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus didn't say you'll be welcomed and loved because you are a loving community. No, Jesus said, the world will hate you. Speaking in context, Jesus was pointing to the hostility, the hatred that will come from the Jews. But he was also pointing to a global implication. The world, as used in John so many times, describes sinful humanity who has set itself at war with the Creator because it did not want the Creator to be sovereign over itself, uh, over creation, but it wants to be uh, sovereign over itself. Therefore, the world hated Jesus who came as light to this world, but the, the world loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And Jesus has told them that in no uncertain terms. Our friends, when you are for Christ, the world will be against you just as it was against Christ. Make no mistake about that. The book of Acts tells us of this hostility that began just a few short weeks after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension to heaven. The apostles and the early disciples, they were imprisoned. They were chained. They were maligned. They were stoned to death. They were beheaded. They were whipped. They were brought before religious councils, before governors, and before kings. If you think that only was described within the Bible, well, if we look outside, the Roman historian Tacitus, writing about 50 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and, and ascension, described how the Roman emperor Nero crucified Christians, burnt them, fed them to hungry animals, among other atrocities. Listen to the reasons given. Because they only worship one God and wouldn't worship many gods like the Romans do. Particularly, they wouldn't worship G Caesar, who demanded to be loved, uh, to be worshipped as a god. But this loving relationship of disciples love one another. They avoided sinful and illicit pleasures. And they call each other brother and sisters. And they marry each other as if it is incest in the uh, faulty understanding of the Romans. And worse still, more disgraceful, they ate and drank human flesh and blood in the understanding of the Romans. And you think that happened only in the early centuries of the world? Well, closer to our time and home. According to the World Watch list for 2018, it listed 250 million Christians being persecuted throughout the world. And this number increases every year. Countries quoted on the watch list includes North Korea, Afghanistan, Indonesia, Pakistan, India, Myanmar, Laos, Kenya, Ethiopia, China, just to name a few. And a wide range of reasons was given for the world's hatred, religious oppression, ethnic antagonism, dictatorial paranoia, communist or post-communist oppression. 
And the result of such hatred, and let me paraphrase, the report says, attacks can range from forced marriages to rape, to family members throwing their Christian siblings or children off the top of a building to try and kill them, or being poisoned, or being stripped naked, and forced to watch as family members burns all their possessions, being barred from leaving their homes, and being drawn into courts to face legal battles that they just cannot win. Friends, at the root of all this, we have 250 million Christians being hated and persecuted because of their identity for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, the world hates you because they hated me first. And it would be so easy, the Lord says, to be part of the world and get away from this persecution. You find this when Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. The world will love you as its own. But Christians have been chosen out of this world by Jesus Christ. We have become parias in the world, misfits in the world, aliens in the world, and therefore the, the world just hates us. And look at verse 20. Just as the world hated Christ and persecuted Him, His followers will face the same thing. Just it, as Jesus has come and preached of God's mercy and love and salvation, and the world hated Jesus for it, so will this loving community of disciples who now stand in Jesus' place and live in accordance to the way that He lived before and had commanded them to do so and continue what He has started and commanded them to continue preaching of God's love and mercy and salvation, this community of loving Christians will be persecuted will be persecuted for Christ, will be hated for Christ. But there will be others who will be like them, these early disciples, who had heard Jesus, believed and obeyed Him. Those will be the ones who will keep the teachings of Jesus now brought to them by these disciples. Jesus said, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they are in the very small minority there were the vast majority of others who will not keep Jesus' word, will hate them. And Jesus gives them the reason in verse 21. It is because they do not know of the Father who has sent him into the world. Those first century Jews, especially those who claimed to know God, did not really know him at all. The Pharisees, the scribes, uh, the leaders of the Sanhedrin, they claimed to know God the Father very well, but they, in reality, Jesus said, did not know Him at all. For if they know Him, they would know that it is God who has sent Jesus into the world so that the world may be saved through Him. And Jesus said, they do not know Him who sent me. And He continues, the world stands guilty as charged because of two reasons. Firstly, in verse 22, I'll uh, over the page, in verse 22, Jesus said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And now, friends, this saying of Jesus presents us with a very serious question. Does it mean that if Jesus had not come and spoken to them, the world would have been sinless? Of course, this is not what Jesus was saying. The world was 
and is and will continue to be sinful until he's coming again. But Jesus had come and had spoken the words of salvation to them. By their refusal to believe in him, the world stands guilty of refusing the fuller, the more complete revelation that Jesus had come to offer from God. They were guilty because they did not believe in Jesus' words. And over and over and over again, the Gospel of John has captured this inseparable relationship of Jesus with his Father and the inseparable relationship of Jesus' words with his Father's words. I just want to quote three passages. In, in chapter 7, 16 and, verse 16 and 17, Jesus said, My teaching is not my own, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teachings are from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. In chapter 8, verse 40, Jesus said, And now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. In chapter 12, verses 49 to 50, Jesus said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore I say, as the Father has told me. Because of that, they now have no excuse. Because rejecting Jesus' words means rejecting God's words. And in verse 23, Jesus emphasizes on the full dimension and the harsh implication of this denial. The world stands guilty as charged because hating Jesus is the same as hating the Father. Now, there is another way in which the world stands guilty as charged. It is disbelief in Jesus' works. In verse 24, Jesus said, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus has tried them, has tried to tell them to look at the miracles he had performed that no one else can do as evidence that he is from God. In, the, in chapter 5, verse 36, for the works that the father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the father has sent me. He said that, and he said, he continues in, in, in chapter, ter, uh, chapter 10, verse 25, I told you and you did not believe. The works that I, know, that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. A few verses later, in verse 32 of chapter 10, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which one of them are you going to stone me? And then later, in verses 37 to 38 of chapter 10, Jesus said, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. You see, friends, the world stands guilty as charged because in Jesus' words, they should have heard God speak to them. In Jesus' actions, they should have seen God acting because those things can only be done by God. And in Jesus' face, they should have seen God who has sent him to save the world. They didn't. And they are now guilty of hating both Jesus and his Father. But Jesus continued to say, it's no accident, you know. Their attitude has been prophesied by Scripture. 
And in verse 25, Jesus said, But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus was quoting from Psalm 69, verse, uh, verse 4, a Davidic psalm, which is printed in your bulletin as well. And he was pointing and correlating the undeserved hatred of King David in his time, foreshadowing the hatred that he himself, from the line of David, who he himself would face in his time. It is all in accordance with God's plan of salvation. And he continued to say, disciples did not fear to witness for God, uh, to witness for Christ, because God has provided the means for us to face the hatred of the world. Firstly, God will provide the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Notice how previously in chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus spoke about his Father sending the Spirit. And here we have Jesus spending, sending the Spirit himself, who is of the Father. Jesus pointing to the Spirit being an inseparable part of the Trinity and participating intimately and collectively, yet individually and personally in God's plan to save the world. He acted as part of the, the Trinity, and yet he was separately an individual acting in God's plan to save the world. The Spirit's mission is intimately connected to the mission of the, these first disciples, the apostles. Together, they will bear witness to Jesus. Now, friends, as modern uh, disciples, we are, of course, not eyewitnesses as those first apostles were. But the Spirit continues to witness to the world as He teaches us the truth from Scripture and as we witness to Christ by proclaiming His gospel to the world in His strength. Secondly, Jesus' forewarning that comes in chapter 16, verses 1 to 4a. In, verse, in the first verse, Jesus said, don't be caught by surprise. We, I have already told you it will happen. Be strong and don't give up. Don't fall away. In the next verse, being barred from the synagogue has a serious implication for the Jews during Jesus' time because the synagogue was a center of Jewish religious and social activity, social interaction. And for those who became uh, Christians apart from the other members of their family, this would mean that they are barred from any interactions with them. I am neither religious nor social, a very serious thing for them. But Jesus didn't stop there. He says there are even more serious threats included. That would include being killed in the mistaken belief that that would please God, that would be in accordance with God's wishes. And all these things would happen. All these things would happen because of their disbelief of Jesus. And Jesus said, remember, when these things happen to you, remember that I've warned you about these things happening. The Apostle Peter, writing in 1 Peter 3 verse 14, which is also uh, in the text box in your, in your bulletin, certainly found great comfort in the times of trouble which he faced during his time. And he left us these words as a comfort, as a comfort to us. 
He writes, and let me read that to you. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you would be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And so, friends, as we come to the end of our passage, what can we bring home with us? And I would like to suggest three things as usual. The first one. The first one is that we can bring back with us a reminder the disciples have been chosen out of this world by Jesus himself. And so when we find ourselves being very comfortable in the world, enjoying ourselves, uh, calm, identifying ourselves very well with what the world is doing, we need to ask ourselves whether we have fallen back to adopting the ways of the world over the ways that has been commanded by Christ himself. We need to conduct a self-check of ourselves, whether we are still abiding in the vine and whether we are still producing fruit that will be glorifying to God. That's the first thing that we can bring home with us. The second thing is, we can bring back the certainty that when we follow Christ, the world will hate and persecute us because we stand in the place of Jesus. So when our society, the communities in which we live in, our friends, our family, our colleagues in the office, uh, whatever, whichever areas of society that we mix with have issues with our faith, be reminded that Jesus has already warned us that these things are sure to happen. Jesus said, don't be caught by surprise. And don't fall away. That means to say, don't just remain strong and don't give up. It's the second thing that we can bring back. The certainty that we will be hated and persecuted for being Christians. Number three, we can bring back the confidence that God has not left us alone. Abandoned by Him, abandoned by Jesus, abandoned by the Holy Spirit to fend for ourselves. No. He has left us with the Holy Spirit just as He has promised. And we are to fearlessly go forth and preach the gospel of salvation in His strength. We are to go forth in His strength. Preaching the gospel of salvation that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son into the world so that the world may be saved. We can bring back three things. A reminder that the disciples have been chosen out of this world a certainty that when we follow Christ, we will be persecuted, and the confidence that we have not been left alone, but that the Holy Spirit accompanies us on our journey on earth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. And we want to ask that you help us to face the hostility of the world and to grant us the strength of your spirit so that we may fearlessly go forth and proclaim the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Be with us, Lord, we pray. In his name we pray. Amen.